Good evening. My name is Sean Hudgenwardle, and I will be your moderator for this evening's class. Welcome to another lecture given by the Oceanside class. This is a school and it is not a church. Neither are we affiliated with any other religious organization. This school is a nonprofit, non-denominational, religious and scientific research organization dedicated to showing proof of the existence of Yahweh our Elohim and the operation of his eternal purpose, pattern, and plan operating throughout eternity to this present day. This school was established as the result of a divine vision and a divine revelation given to our founder, Dr. Henry Clifford Kinley, in the state of Ohio in the year of 1931. We were incorporated in 1958 in the state of California. The Oceanside class was incorporated in 1994. At this time, I would like to introduce to you the Dean of the Oceanside class, Dr. Dennis Volpe, and the president of the Oceanside class, Dr. Carl Emler. In this school, we use the true, correct, and original name and title of the Father, the Word or Son, and the Holy Spirit, as contained in the original Hebrew text. The true name of our Heavenly Father is Yahweh. It has been improperly substituted by Lord. The true title of the word or son is Elohim. It has been improperly substituted by God. The name of the Holy Spirit manifest in or out of a physical body is Yahshua. It has been erroneously substituted by Jesus Christ. Lord and God are titles and not names. The Apostle Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, tells us in 1 Corinthians 8 and 5 that there are Lord's many and there are God's many. But we now know that each Lord must have an end and each God must have a name also. Elohim is a title, but unlike Lord and God, Elohim is a divine title. This means that Elohim is the title that our creator chose for himself. Jesus is a name, but it is an erroneous name. A minor investigation on your part into a good dictionary or encyclopedia would prove that neither the Hebrew, the Greek, nor the Latin languages have any letters or characters in their alphabets that would produce the sound that is made by the letter J. Neither was there a letter J in the English language until some 1400 years after the Messiah's death. Therefore, such names as Jesus and Jehovah 
are impossible renderings for the true and original name of the Father and his Son. Christ is a title, just like Lord and God. Now, Yahweh is pure spirit. And in this state, he is inscrutable and incomprehensible. He is the ultimate source, substance, limits, and bounds of everything. We have Yahweh in his pure spirit state, symbolized on this chart as a cloud. Yahweh is not a cloud. He merely chose a cloud to symbolize himself because a cloud has no particular or descriptive shape and form. We have this cloud drawn all around the edges of this chart to show you that everything on this chart is within the cloud. In like manner, everything in the universe abides within the pure spirit state of Yahweh. Now, Yahweh knowing that man could not perceive of him in this pure spirit state, took on shape and took on form right within himself as Elohim. This is the word or son, a super incorporeal being that is having the shape and form of a man, but without having flesh and blood. This shape and form can only be seen in divine visions and understood in divine revelations. Later on, this self-same spirit manifests himself in a physical body and walked the earth plane as Yahshua the Messiah, whom the world calls Jesus Christ. Now there's only one name given unto given unto man unto salvation and we all must know this name so the simple yet intelligent question that we should all ask ourselves is what was the name of the savior during the time that he walked the earth plane a further understanding of this name and title may be had by reading the preface of the holy name bible also in this school, we teach according to the divine pattern of the universe. It is called the divine pattern because it is Yahweh's pattern. After Yahweh led the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, he instructed Moses to come atop of Mount Sinai, where he showed him a tabernacle pattern in a vision. He instructed Moses to build one exactly like it in the wilderness of Sinai. This tabernacle pattern consists of a most holy place, a holy place, and a court roundabout. These three compartments make up the one tabernacle pattern. In this school, we show proof that everything in the universe is made and structured and functioned according to this threefold tabernacle pattern and absolutely nothing escapes the pattern. The 10 primary constitutional aims and objectives of the school are as follows. First is to help you find and know 
Yahweh, our Elohim, as he really is and actually exists. Second is to form a nucleus of universal brotherhood of humanity in Yahshua the Messiah without distinction of race, nationality, creed, sex, caste, or color. Third is to investigate the unexplained spirit law or so-called law of nature and the powers latent in man. Fourth is to encourage and promote the study of the scriptures, comparative religions, psychology, philosophy, and modern practical and occult science. Fifth is to extirpate current superstition, skepticism, and ignorance. Sixth is to learn, know, and understand the operation of Yahweh's eternal purpose through the dispensations and ages. Seventh is to discern and avoid being deceived by Lucifer, the serpent, the devil, the dragon, or Satan and his demons operating the mystery of iniquity on earth through the dispensations of time. Eight is to earnestly contend for the common salvation and faith which was once delivered to the sons or children of Yahweh. Ninth is to make known that Yahweh from the beginning ordained. There is no other name given among men whereby man can be saved, saving the name of Yahshua the Messiah. And tenth is to inherit eternal life now in the kingdom of Yahshua the Messiah with the hope of immortal glorification in the new earth state. Our watchword is peace. Our slogan is speak the truth. Today, we would like to have our class dedicated in prayer by Dr. Bruce Geller. Our scripture uh, lesson today will be Nehemiah, the ninth chapter, and that will be read by Dr. Jerry Geller. Um, okay, so I'd like to turn it over to Bruce for the prayer, please. Thank you. Thank you, Sean. Good afternoon and evening to everyone. <clears throat> let us all bow our hearts and our minds in a moment of prayer. And let us thank our Heavenly Father, Yahweh, once again, who has seen fit to bring us together one more time in the name of Yahshua, the Messiah. Yahweh, we're very grateful for you opening up our hearts and our minds and giving us some stability and some very rocky times and giving us an understanding of your purpose, your pattern, your plan, giving us an understanding of your son, Yahshua, the Messiah, who has come down and died for our sins, according to the scriptures, which you have yourself have written. We just want to thank you for taking out, taking us out of that great darkness and bringing us into the light. And we just appreciate everything that you have done for us and are continuing to do for us. We ask for your strength in these days because we know the adversary has not gone to sleep and he's continuing to, to try to upset us and try to knock us off kilter. But we know that it's you that's keeping us straight 
And it's you that has brought us into this marvelous light and given us great stability and peace. And we are so grateful for that and just so grateful to know you and to have this great hope that we do have in Yahshua the Messiah. So let us continue on and continue to lean on you and not unto ourselves, but unto you for everything that we need. And thank you again, Yahweh, through Yahshua. Let us all say hallelujah. 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 Good afternoon, class. Today I'll be reading Nehemiah, the ninth chapter from the Holy Name Bible, containing the Holy Name version of the Old and New Testaments, critically compared with ancient authorities and various manuscripts, revised by the late A.B. Trana of the Scripture Research Association Incorporated in College Park, Maryland. Nehemiah, the ninth chapter. <clears throat> Now in the 20 and fourth day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and with sackcloths and with earth upon them. And the seed of Israel separated themselves from all strangers and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read in the book of the law of Elohim, Yahweh their Elohim, one-fourth part of the day, and another fourth part, they confessed and worshipped Yahweh thy, their Elohim. <clears throat> then stood up upon the stairs of the Levites, Yeshua and Bani, Cadmiel, Shabaniah, Buni, Sherebiah, Bani, and Chinani, and cried with a loud voice unto Yahweh their Elohim. Then the Levites, Jeshua and Cadmiel, Bani, Hashabaniah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shabaniah, and Pethiah said, Stand up and bless Yahweh your Elohim forever and ever, and blessed be thy glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. Thou, even thou, art Yahweh alone. Thou hast made heaven the heaven of heavens with all their host, the earth and all things that are therein, the seas and all that is therein, and thou preservest them all, and the hosts of heaven worshipeth thee. Thou art Yahweh the Elohim, who didst choose Abram and brought him forth out of Ur of the Chaldees, and gavest him the name of Abraham and foundest his heart faithful before thee, and made us a covenant with him to give the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, and the Bergashites to give it, I say, to his seed, and has performed thy words, for thou art righteous. And didst see the affliction of our fathers in Egypt, and heardest their cry by the Red Sea, and showest signs and wonders upon Pharaoh, and on his servants, and on all the people of his land, for thou knewest that they dealt proudly against them. So didst thou get thee a name as it is this day. 
And thou didst divide the sea before them, so that they went through in the midst of the sea on the dry land. And their persecutors thou threwest into the depth, deeps, as a stone into mighty waters. Moreover, thou leadest them in the day by a cloudy pillar, and in the night by a pillar of fire, to give them light in the way wherein they should go. Thou camest down also upon Mount Sinai, and spaketh with them from heaven, and gavest them right judgment and true laws, good statutes and commandments, and madest known unto them by thy holy Sabbath, and commanded them by precepts, statutes, and laws, by the hand of Moses thy servant, and gavest them bread from heaven for their hunger, and broughtest forth water for them out of the rock of their thirst, and promised them that they should go in to possess the land which thou hadst sworn to give them. And they and our fathers dealt proudly and hardened their necks and hearkened not to thy commandments and refused to obey, neither were mindful of thy wonders that thou didst among them, but hardened their necks and in their rebellion appointed a captain to return to their bondage. But thou art Aloha, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and forsooketh them not. Yea, when they had made them a molten calf, and said, This is thy idol that brought thee up out of Egypt, and hath wrought great provocations. Yet thou in thy manifold mercies forsooketh them not in the wilderness. The pillar of the cloud departed not from them by day to lead them in the way, neither the pillar of fire by night to show them light and the way wherein they should go. And thou gavest also thy good spirit to instruct them and withheldest not thy manna from their mouth and gavest them water for their first. Yea, forty years didst thou sustain them in the wilderness so that they lacked nothing. Their clothes waxed not old and their feet swelled not. Moreover, thou gavest them kingdoms and nations and didst divide them into corners so they possessed the land of Shihan and the land of king of Hershbon and the land of Og, king of Bashan. And their children also multipliest thou as the stars of heaven and broughtest them into the land concerning which thou hast promised to their fathers so they should go in to possess it. So the children went in and possessed the land, and thou subduest before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, which gave them unto their hands with their kings <clears throat> and the people of the land, that they might do with them as they would. And they took strong cities and a fat land and possessed houses full of goods, wells digged, vineyards and oliveyards, and fruit trees in abundance. So they did eat and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in thy great goodness. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against thee and cast thy law behind their backs and slew thy prophets, which testified against them to turn thee to them to thee. And they wrought great provocations. Therefore <clears throat> thou deliveredest them 
into the hand of their enemies who vexed them. And in time of their trouble, when they cried unto thee, thou heardest them from heaven. And according to thy manifold mercies, thou gavest them saviors who saved them out of the hand of their enemies. And after they had rest, they did evil again before thee. Therefore, lestest thou them in the hand of their enemies, so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they returned and cried unto thee, thou heardest them from heaven, and many times didst thou deliver them according to thy mercies, and testified against them that thou mightest bring them again unto thy law. Yet they dealt proudly and hearkened not unto thy commandments, but sinned against thy judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them, and withdrew the shoulder and hardened their neck and would not hear. Yet many years didst thou forbear them and testified against them by the Spirit in thy prophets. Yet would they not give ear, therefore gavest thou them into the hands of the people of the land. Nevertheless, for thy great mercy's sake, thou did not utterly consume them, nor forsake them, for thou art a gracious and merciful El. <clears throat> now, therefore, our Elohim, the great and mighty and awesome, inspiring El, who keepest covenant and mercy, let not all the trouble seem little before thee that thou hast come upon us, on our kings, on our princes, and on our priests, and on our prophets, and on our fathers, and on all thy people since the time of the kings of Assyria unto this day. <clears throat> Howbeit, thou art just in all that is brought upon us, for thou hast done right, but we have done wickedly. Neither have our kings, our princes, our priests, nor our fathers kept thy law, nor hearken unto the commandments and thy testimonies, wherewith thou did testify against them. For they have not served thee in their kingdom, and in thy great goodness that thou gavest them in the large and fat land which thou gavest before them, neither turned they from their wicked works. Behold, we are servants this day, for the land that thou gavest unto our fathers to eat the fruit thereof and the good thereof, Behold, we are servants in it, and it yieldeth much increase unto the kings whom thou hast set over us because of our sins. Also they have dominion over our bodies and over our cattle at their pleasure, and we are in great distress. And because of this, of all this, we make a sure covenant and write it, and our princes, Levites, and priests seal unto it. Nehemiah, the ninth chapter. Thank you, Dr. Bruce Geller, and thank you, Dr. Jerry Geller. Um, before we call on our first speaker today, I would like to remind all of our Zoom participants to please keep your cameras off and your microphones muted unless you are called on to speak. For our first speaker for today's class, I would like to call from the Orlando, Florida class, Dr. Cherie Williams, please. Dr. Williams. Good evening, class. Good evening. Good evening. You can hear me okay? Yes. 
Okay. Um, it is always an honor and a privilege for me to have another opportunity to come and sit under this great divine vision and revelation that our Heavenly Father, Yahweh Elohim, through Yahshua the Messiah, did give our founder, Dr. Henry Clifford Kinley, in the year of 1931 in Springfield, Ohio. And that's what we are preaching and teaching down here in this school is the great divine vision and revelation that Dr. Kinley did receive. For without this vision and revelation, we would not know anything about Yahweh's purpose, pattern, and plan of salvation. But because Yahweh had mercy and gave it this vision and revelation to the founder and he was obedient to the heavenly vision and taught us, we are blessed to be in class this evening. Um, the scripture lesson, lesson this evening is talking about the migration of the children of Israel um, from Egypt in the wilderness on over into Canaan's land. And those of us that have been around a while, we know and understand by this vision and revelation that this migration that the children of Israel are making uh, is snapping our picture because as we sit in class on Zoom or in person or any special event that we might gather together in, spiritually and psychologically, we're making that self-same migration sitting in a seat in the chair. And um, let's go ahead and pick up first uh, John 17 and 3. Give me the first aim first. Um, these are just like our foundation uh, scriptures. And we just want to always keep in mind why we gather. There's a reason why we gather. We're not, it's not that we don't have something else that we could be doing. You know, there's a reason why. You got the first aim? Yes. To help you find and know Yahweh, our Elohim, as he really is and actually exists. Okay, thank you. Then it's just got so, the scriptures. Oh, no, no need. Okay, so the first aim of this school, and we have 10, if you were listening to the moderator, um, he did uh, read off all 10 of our aims. And the first one is to help you find and know Yahweh, our Elohim, as he really is and as he actually exists. Okay, so uh, that's the first aim of the school. Now, when we read in John, the 17th chapter and the third verse, if you have a red letter edition of the Bible, this will be written in red. That means that these are the words of the Savior himself. And um, just in case we have fairly new people, let's go ahead and read that in the King James Bible and also get 1 Corinthians 8 and 5 King James as well. And I'll insert the uh, proper names as we go along. John 17 and 3. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Okay. So here you have the Savior saying that life eternal or eternal life is to know the only true God. Now, the mere fact that he said only true God, then it would stand to reason that there must be some false God. Okay, you got 1 Corinthians. 
For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many and lords many, but okay. to us there is but one God. The Go ahead, honey. There is but one God, the Father of whom all things, of of whom are all things, and we in Him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by Him. That's How good be enough. It, right? That's there is good not enough. In every That's good enough. Thank you, thank you, Rochelle. Thank you. Okay, so uh, here it is. The Holy Spirit through Paul is saying that there are God many. And lords many, right? Because, for an example, uh, mm -hmm. most of us uh, that rent apartments or homes, we have a landlord. But when you go to write your check, you don't where it says "pay to the order of." You don't say to the landlord because he or she can't do nothing with that. You must put the landlord's right. name. Okay. Mm -hmm. For an example, my dad, Rudolph Roundtree was a landlord. He owned rental property here in the state of Florida. So he had many tenants. So when they went to pay rent on the first of the month, they had to put pay to the order of Mr. Rudolph Roundtree because he's a landlord. They can't put landlord. He can't uh, catch that check then. You understand me? All right. Then you have Lord uh, God's many. Greek mythology, uh, Azena, Apollos, you see, and, and and you name it, Zeus, all those gods in mm -hmm. Greek mythology, they all have names, right? But now, further down in the scripture, he says, but unto us, there is but one God who is the father of whom are all things. And who is the father that is of whom are all things? That's Yahweh, our Elohim. He, that is the true and That's correct fine. name of the heavenly father Yahweh or of God. His true name is Yahweh. You get it? And it says, and there's only one savior, Yahshua the Messiah, who came in to save us from our sins. So you have Yahweh, then you have Yahshua. Shua in Hebrew theology means salvation. So you have over there in John 5 and 43, the Savior states, I am come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. Let another come in his own name, and him you will receive. Okay? So you have Yah, that's the masculine part of the name. Way is the feminine part of his name, of the Creator's name. So if he's coming in his father's name, he has to come in the masculine portion of the father's name being Yah. So the Savior has to be Yah something, right? So his name is Yah Shua. Yah coming in Yahweh's name and Shua meaning salvation. So the heavenly father is Yahweh Elohim and the Savior is Yahshua the Messiah. Okay, so now, um, it says that in the first aim, to help you find and know Yahweh as he really is and actually exists, right? Now, if you get Acts 17, I think it's 28. Yes. Acts 17 and 28. 
For in him we live and move and have our being. As certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Okay, very good. So now here it is. I, I kind of cut to the chase. But um, it's talking about how that the great creator, Yahweh Elham, created the entire world and everything in it, including us, right? And then it goes on in the 28th verse saying that we live and move and have our being in Yahweh, who is pure spirit. And you see up here on this chart, it says Yahweh is spirit. So if we live and move and have our beings in him, how can we understand that? And not only are we in him, but he's in us. You got 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Uh, We're talking about finding, finding Yahweh six. and knowing him. Go ahead, honey. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you? which ye have of Yahweh Elohim, and ye are not your own. For ye are brought with a price. Therefore glorify Yahweh Elohim in your body and in your spirit, which are his. Thank you very much. Okay. So here it is. We are in Yahweh, who is spirit. And it turns out he is in us. We're talking about helping you find him. So we're in him and he's in us. Now, how can we understand that? Now, we read in Romans 1, 19 and 20 that we take the natural to understand the spirit, right? So from a natural standpoint, we live and we move and we have our being in the air. So we are in the air, which typify spirit or Yahweh, and the air right. is in us. We're in the air. And the air is in us. If there is no air for us to breathe, we will die. Right? So this natural right. example of we living in the air and the air living in us is teaching us that we are in Yahweh, who is pure spirit, and he dwells within us as well. But we've been going from church to church looking for God. We've been going, you know, uh, to this organization and that organization, we run into this person and that person, people that we thought were holy people looking for him. But he was in us all the time and we are in him. That's why you read over there in Psalms. I can't tell you exactly where it is, where it says that if I fly out into the heavens, you are there, Yahweh. If I go into the depths of the sea, mm -hmm. you're there, Yahweh. If I go down to hell itself, you are there, Yahweh. There is nowhere that we can go where he is not. You understand me? Because Yahweh, our Elohim, is omnipresent. So now if we are in him and he is in us, then we cannot hide from him. So that's how you can understand why mama used to say, that you be good when you go out there to that game or you go to that dance or whatever the case may be. You understand? Because the eye of God is every place beholding the good and the evil. <laughs> and our parents and our grandparents used to tell us that to put some fear in us to make us behave ourselves as kids coming up. You understand what I'm talking about? You see? So 
now that mm -hmm. we've come to this school and it's pointed out, we're trying to sh help you find Yahweh, that you might know Yahweh, which is eternal life to you right now. You know, you we can have eternal life right now. That's another thing the church don't teach us, that you can have eternal life right now. They say you, you can gain that after you die, but it's too late then. You got to have eternal life right now. You get what I'm talking about? So now, um, have you ever thought about the fact that sometimes maybe we weren't so good when we went here or there with our friends or whatever? You know, maybe mama said, don't go over to so-and-so, so-and-so's house because maybe she didn't trust that child or whatever. Because it looked like every time you look around, that child was in trouble. But you just love that person. That's your, 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 your best friend. You just want to hang out with them. So you would sneak and go and be with them. You know what I'm saying? Then all of a sudden there's a voice in your head that says, now if I were you, I wouldn't go over there to so-and-so's house. But we never thought about the fact where that voice was coming from. It felt like it was just a thought in our mind. But we kind of find out that Yahweh has been in us all the time and he has been speaking to us all of our lives in this still, soft voice as we read about in our textbook. He's been in us all the time. Say, if I were you, I wouldn't go around there. Then you ignore the voice and you go around there and then you get in trouble. Maybe you get arrested or maybe you end up in a fight, whatever the case is. You know what I mean? And then when you get in trouble and you got to call Ma or Pa to come get you to rescue you out of jail or come get you out the hospital because you got injured, whatever it was. You're thinking while you're laying there waiting on mom and dad to come get you. Boy, something told me not to go over there. Something told me not to do this. Something told me not to do that. What is that something told me? That is Yahweh Elohim himself dwelling right within you. Speaking to you. But we didn't know who it was. We thought it was just a thought. You get what I'm talking about? But that was Yahweh all the time. Speaking to us, but we didn't know who it was. You get it? So now he has invited us to this school and pointed out to us, look, I've been with you all the time. I'm in you and you are in me, you know, and listen, and don't you know that God, whose name is Yahweh, he don't need our help. You know, they teach us in church to give a, 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 a tenth of your earning back to God, you know. And uh, in my church, they would take up the collection. You know how they do. You go up and you march around. And you put whatever on the uh, in the plate there when you march around. Some churches pass the plate around, whatever. You know what I mean? And then mm -hmm. they get up there and they say the grace, right, or the prayer. Now, you don't took your money up there. But then when they do the prayer, they say, Lord, we thank you for this offering. And you should be sitting in that seat that now Lord didn't give that offering. I gave that offering. That was my <laughs> light bill. <laughs> you understand me? But see, God, whose name is Yahweh, he's spirit. He don't need our money. He don't need our help by no means. Uh, as a matter of fact, in Acts, it says, um, is it in Acts? No, that's over in Psalms where he says that if I was hungry, I wouldn't even tell you because all the uh, cattle on the, mm -hmm. on the mountains are mine. 
all the foul and the error is mine. Say, I know the, the hair on that head. I, I can't tell you where it is. Just yell out whenever you find him. But it talks about if I, the great creator, he said, if I was hungry, I would even tell you. What you say, sweetheart? It's Psalms 50 and 12. Thank 50 you. 50 and 12. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine and the fullness thereof. Read on. Will I eat flesh of bulls or drink the no, blood of goats? No, go up some. I want you to Offer go up a little Yahweh bit. Elohim. Go up a little bit, honey. Uh, okay. Maybe nine. Let's see what nine says. For, uh, ten, he says, uh, for every beast of the forest is mine. And the there it is. That's what I want. Hills. Okay. Okay. Listen. Okay. So he said the beast. I know of all what? the fowls. Go back and read it slow, he said honey. The beast of the of the forest. For every beast of the forest is mine. Okay. Hold it. And the cattle every, upon a thousand hills. Okay. Are you listening, Rochelle? Listen to me closely, because I'm gonna be buttoning in. So I want you to read slow. He says every yes. beast. Yes. Of the field is mine. That's what the creator is saying. And what else? And all the cattle upon a thousand hills. Uh-huh. I know all the fowls of the mountains and the uh -huh. wild beasts of the field are mine. Yes. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee. You see the that? the world is mine and the fullness okay. thereof. Okay, he said, if I was hungry, I wouldn't tell you because the world is mine and the fullness thereof. You get it? So he don't need our money. He said, all the beasts on, on the hills are his, the fowls of the air is his. Everything in this creation belongs to Yahweh. If he was hungry, he wouldn't even tell us. So what we look like giving God mm -hmm. a 10% of our earnings? You see, listen, that's just not the way that it is. He said if he was hungry, he wouldn't. Because look, the life that we have, Yahweh has given it to us. The breath that we have, mm -hmm. he's given it to us. Even our breath is the name of Yahweh. Because you inhale Yah and you exhale way. You inhale Yah and you exhale way. Even when you go to the beach. The waves, they, they roar his name. That's in the book too. They come in Yah. And they go back out way. The waves come in, yeah, and they go back out way. You get it? The whole entire creation is roaring Yahweh's name and Yahshua's name. Everything is. When you open your door to your car or to your house, you know, sometimes it squeaks because we need to put a little oil on the hinges. It say, yeah. And then you shut it, boom, right? You get what mm -hmm. I mean? Everything is testifying to his name. And if he were to turn up the sound to all of these, these witnesses out here in this world that's roaring his name, boy, it would, it would deafen us because everything is testifying to Yahweh, holy name, and Yahshua the Messiah. You get what I'm saying? Even a train. If you listen to a train closely, the wheels on the trains, Yahshua, 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 Yahshua. And what and the horn says, Yahweh. You understand? 
everything mm-hmm. is testifying to him. But we just didn't have an eye to see and an ear to hear. We had to come to this school and sit down and be taught by Yahshua the Messiah, who is the teacher in this school. I'm not the teacher and neither are you. Yahshua is the teacher in this, this school. And we learn that in John 14 and 26. All right. So now let's take a few minutes and go into the scriptures. We're going to try to work a little bit with the scripture lesson. Now it's talking about the children of Israel, how that they were down in the land of Egypt and in bondage down there. Um, let me see. Let's get the elementary chart. Please. And on this elementary chart, you'll see the migration of the children of Israel on there. You'll see the tabernacle pattern on there. And then you'll see Yahshua the Messiah on that uh, elementary chart. And the reason I wanted that chart is because you can see how that each of these events uh, go according to the tabernacle pattern. Now, when you were reading uh, the scripture lesson, it pointed out some of these things. So let's see if we can see it on the ages and dispensation. I mean, the um, elementary chart where you see the tabernacle pattern. Um, before we do that, can you scripture readers, if you don't mind, can you get, um, I think it's Luke eleven fifty two. It's talking about the pattern of heavenly things. I think that's where that is. Luke 11:52 Woe um, unto you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You entered not in yourselves, and them that were entering in ye hindered. All right. So now this tabernacle pattern, which is the pattern of all things, right? It is the key of knowledge. And we already had read that having a knowledge of our great creator, Yahweh Elohim, and our savior, Yahshua the Messiah, is eternal life unto our souls. Okay? So uh, this tabernacle is a shadow, a type and a shadow of heavenly things. It's teaching us about heavenly things. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody don't know nothing about heaven. But Yahweh gave Moses this tabernacle pattern in a vision on Mount Sinai and had him to build it in the wilderness of Sinai. Okay? So now, when you look at the tabernacle pattern that was built in the wilderness of Sinai, which is a key of knowledge, and it is pointing out heavenly things, you kind of find out in the court roundabout of this tabernacle pattern, you have the altar of sacrifice. And this altar of sacrifice, there's a grading system. And you have four horns on the corners of the sacrifice where they had to put the blood of the lamb on the four horns of the sacrifice. Okay. Can, we still didn't get the elementary chart. But when you get a chance, let's pull that up, please. Dennis, do you hear there, uh, there we are. Thank you very much. Okay. So here we have the tabernacle pattern. See, uh, one, two, three, the fourth plate over on the top here. You got the altar of sacrifice here, 
where they offered up a lamb in the morning and a lamb in the evening every single day in the tabernacle pattern. This is the key of knowledge. This is a, a, a shadow of heavenly things. So now if you got a lamb being offered up every single day in this tabernacle pattern and they put the uh, blood on the four horns of this altar of sacrifice in the tabernacle pattern, that's why down here in the land of Egypt, if you look to the left of this migratory pattern here, you got the children of Israel down in the land of Egypt. This is the night before they're to be delivered out of this bondage here. They're in bondage unto Pharaoh and his host. So they had to have a, a roasted lamb and they had to eat him with unleavened bread and drink bitter herbs. But what they had to do when they killed the lamb on the evening of the 14th, they had to pierce him in the side, drain his blood in a basin, and they had to put the blood of the lamb on the lintel of the door. That's the top of the door. They had to put the blood on the two side posts of the door. That's three points of blood. And then the basin at the foot of the door. So you have four points of blood uh, on the inside of the house, on the frame of the door in Egypt, four points of blood on the altar of sacrifice. And then when Yahshua the Messiah came in to die for you and I for our sins, when they hung him out there on the cross, he had a crown of thorns on his head. That's one point of blood. He's nailed in his right hand. That's two. Nailed in his left hand. That's three. And they nailed him in his feet. That made four points of blood on him and then when Yahshua the Messiah came in he told the people when he was born through the lawns of the Virgin Mary he says that I am the door by me if any man enter in he shall be saved right so you got four points of blood on the door down in the land of Egypt Yahshua fulfilling that right now he says I am the door so you got to have four points of blood on him See, now the mission of the Savior born through the lawns of the Virgin Mary is not to set up a Christian example for us to follow after, but it is to fulfill the law and the prophets, right? Fulfill means to complete, finish, and bring to an end. So therefore, that's why you will see uh, the things that Yahshua is doing and the things that Yahshua is saying is in fulfillment to something that was documented in the law and in the prophets. So you got four points of blood on the door in Egypt. Yahshua says, I'm the door. If By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. So you got to have four points of blood on him. Isn't that beautiful? All right. So then the next day, the children of Israel, they come out of the land of Egypt. This would be April the 15th. And it's a two-day journey to the Red Sea. They camp that night, okay? And so uh, they see evidence that Pharaoh and his host is in hot pursuit after them. Thank you. And they are crying unto Moses, you just done brought us out here to die. So uh, Joshua, who the world calls Joshua, the one that fought the battles of Jericho, Joshua, the son of Nun, See, now that is Yahweh in a physical body back there with Moses and the children of Israel. See, and he tells Moses, take your rod and cast it out over the Red Sea, Moses. So Moses cast the rod over the Red Sea and the, the Red Sea humps up and makes a tunnel. And the children of Israel go through the divided waters of the Red Sea, baptized in the cloud and 
and in the sea unto Moses. So the point is that's water. The Red Sea is water. So you have an institution of baptism with this group of people called Israel or the Hebrew people. They're baptized in the cloud in the sea unto Moses. And you, you don't have to read it right now, but that's Exodus 14 and 21. And you pick that up, 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, five minutes. Thank you. Okay, where it talks about the children of Israel being baptized in the cloud and in the sea unto Moses. So when Yahshua Messiah comes in, right, he's baptized by John the Baptist, right? Why are you being baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River? Because I'm fulfilling the children of Israel being baptized in the cloud, in the sea unto Moses. Then when they resurrect into the wilderness of Sinai, they're following this cloud. This cloud correlates with the seven-branch candlestick in the holy place of the tabernacle pattern. It is typifying light. So this cloud is a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of a cloud by day. So you got your principal light in the wilderness. You got light, seven-branch candlestick in the tabernacle pattern. And then Yahshua the Messiah comes in and tells the people, I am the light of the world. Okay? Then you got the table of showbread in the tabernacle pattern. So therefore, Yahweh got to rain down bread to the children of Israel in this wilderness. So you got bread in the wilderness. You got bread on the a table of showbread in the tabernacle. And Yahshua got to tell the people, I am the bread that came down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. You get it? Then you thank you. Then you got the altar of incense. Right. Where there's a prayer or an intercession going on there in the holy place of the tabernacle in the wilderness of Sinai. Moses is a type and a shadow of an intercessor between Yahweh and the children of Israel. Then when Yahshua the Messiah comes in, he's the only intercessor between us and Yahweh. You get it. Then when you go into the most holy place of the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant is a three in one configuration. Gabriel and Michael attached to the uh, Ark of the Covenant making one, two, three, and one piece of furniture there. And then Yahshua says, me and my father are one and we'll make our bowl within you. So by the preaching of the gospel of Yahshua Messiah, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that is the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit dwelling in us by a knowledge and an understanding. So the bottom line is, that we come down here to learn something about our great creator and our savior and, and learn what he's done for us already so that we'll know exactly where we are today. And we've been translated into the kingdom of Yahshua Messiah by the preaching of the gospel. Right now we're translated into the kingdom by him putting his Holy Spirit in us because Yahshua the Messiah in us is our only hope of glory. All praises and honor go to Yahweh our Elohim through Yahshua the Messiah our Savior. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Dr. Sheree Williams. For our second speaker, I would like to call from our Green Bay class, the Dean of the Green Bay class, Dr. Andy Verkaterin. Dr. Verkaterin? Hello, everybody. Um, Hello. Hello. Really enjoyed everything uh, Sheree, the first speaker, had said. 
this is really a beautiful teaching. And, um, and the thing she was talking about is not taught anywhere else. And the scripture reading was talking about the migration of the children of Israel, um, summarizing some of the things they went through and happened while they're in the wilderness of Sinai and so forth. And Sri got into a lot of different things. And um, the first thing I would like to say is, you know, um, we, for the most part, were taken out of the world and were brought up in Christianity or some form of belief or maybe maybe you just believed whatever was in your own head. You had your own doctrine in your head or whatever it was, wherever you come from. When you come to school for the first time, you know, for me, I never heard the name Yahweh before I came to class for my first time. And it, it bothered me and uh, caused me to go and do a detailed personal investigation on my own just to see whether or not what they said in this school was true or not. And I found that the name Yahweh was in the Encyclopedia Britannica. It was in the Oxford Dictionary. It was in the Webster's Dictionary. It was in all kinds of sources. And I knew that what they were saying was true. But then the question came to my mind, why didn't they tell me that in my church? And I was raised Catholic, Methodist, and then Lutheran, confirmed Lutheran before, uh, confirmed method, excuse me, before I came to class. And it really set me back. And, um, and then other things that were taught in this school really started to grab my attention. And I started to realize that there's something unique and special and different about, and I'm going to say the word, this teaching, because the founder made it very clear that this teaching, not the other teachings, not what's going on in the world, this teaching is a product of a divine vision and revelation given to him in 1931. Now, if you know anything about the founder, um, he was born in 1895, and he never went past the sixth grade. So that means that his education in the sixth grade would have been around 1905, maybe 1907. And the type of education they had in 1907 compared to the education you're getting today in the schools is quite different. I mean, heck, in the school today in uh, fifth and sixth grade, I mean, they teach, you know, sometimes math and things that, you know, I'm scratching my head at and I'm thinking, I mean, they never taught me that when I was in school. But can you imagine what sixth grade was like uh, fifth and sixth grade was like back in 1905. But nonetheless, this man academically could not have had uh, the ability to understand and grasp all the things in this teaching unless he truly did have a divine vision revelation in 1931. And when he had that vision, it really set him back. Put him in a state of meditation for quite a while before uh, he presented this teaching. He also said that he would never be the same again because not only did he have a vision, but he also had a revelation of everything that which he saw. Now, a lot of the things that are taught in this school, um, I mean, the world would think you have to have a pretty advanced understanding to be able to see some of these things, but the founder tried to make it simple. 
If you can count to three, you can understand this teaching. And this school, or this teaching, <clears throat> is dedicated to showing proof of the existence of our Creator, Yahweh. That's what it's for. It's dedicated to showing proof. Now, when I went to church, the churches weren't dedicated to showing proof. They were just trying to get you to believe and, um, you know, and come and, you know, contribute to the collection and get involved in fellowships, youth fellowships, and, you know, listen to the sermon and, you know, put a little water on your head or, you know, whatever your form of worship was. But it it wasn't about trying to prove God is real. They just wanted you to believe. As a matter of fact, in one time uh, several years ago, I got in a debate with a Christian, a Baptist Christian, <clears throat> and I started to show him some proof of how I knew why Yahshua did and said some of the things he said. <clears throat> and he was basically accusing me of being a doubting Thomas because I needed to show proof. Well, proof is required um, in your scriptures. <clears throat> I want that scripture which says, prove all things. I think ah, Psalms 150 and 6. Or something like that. It's First Thessalonians 5.21. There you go. First Thessalonians okay. 5 and 21. Mm -hmm. Prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. So it says prove all Abstain things. Abstain from all appearance of evil. <clears throat> prove all things and hold fast to that which is good. So. Abstain from all appearances of evil. So, I mean, I never thought that you had to prove every anything in Christianity. You know, I just thought you had to take everything on faith, you know. And, and then when you look at the Bible, you know, is proof an important piece of the puzzle? And it is. If you go to Deuteronomy 19 and 15, what does it say there? Deuteronomy 19 and 15. Mm-hmm. One witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or for any sin in any sin that he sinneth. At the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established. Now, when you think about witnesses and you think about two witnesses or you think about three witnesses, that doesn't sound like blind evidence to me. Uh, basically, your Bible is talking about if there's a matter to be established, it should be backed up by either two or three witnesses. Now, um, let's get Isaiah 8 and 20. Isaiah 8 and 20. To the mm -hmm. law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Now, first of all, before I came down to class, I wasn't really familiar with the law was. You know, I you know I remember having to memorize the first five books of the Bible. We call them Law of Moses. But if I would have read this, I would have not been able to understand it the way I do now. 
to the laws, the first five books of your Bible, which were authored by Moses, which is a specific uh, uh, person that Yahweh um, I had a vision. And Moses wrote things that he was told to write and what he saw in a vision when he was on top of Mount Sinai. So he's one person. But when you look at the testimony, these are the various prophets that Yahweh appeared to appeared to in the Bible and told them what to do or what to write. You know, he came to Isaiah in a vision saying, or he came to Jeremiah and, you know, and so forth. And we get these scriptures all the time. But basically you're getting the sources from both Moses out of the law and you're getting sources out of prophets trying to make a matter or make something to be established. And it's not just that it's, you can go into the law and you can, show how Moses, he questioned uh, uh, when he goes, when he asked to leave the land of Egypt to go into before Pharaoh, he asked the creator for witnesses. Let's get Exodus, the fourth chapter, and start reading at one. I mean, Exodus four and one? Yes. Now, Yahweh didn't Exodus. call Moses a doubting Thomas, you know, or anything like that. Moses had mm -hmm. wanted to have some kind of assurance or, or proof from his creator and to be able to represent him. You know, so he wasn't given nothing. He was given proof and evidence. He was given witnesses. And here's some examples of that. Go ahead and read. And Moses answered and said, but behold, they they will not believe me nor hearken unto my voice. For they will say, had Yahweh not appeared unto thee? And Yahweh said unto him, what is it in thy hand? And he said, a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses mm -hmm. fled from before it. And Yahweh said unto Moses, put forth thy hand and take it by the tail. And so he here we have his hand the creator of the universe. He's able to make a rod change into a serpent. That's one thing. And now Moses fled from it. So what he just saw happen there was pretty real to him to the point where he fled from it. <laughs> and I'm sure Moses was not a stranger to serpents. You know, for him to see that and flee from it would have told you that that serpent was nothing to mess with. It's, it startled him. But go ahead, keep reading. And Yahweh said unto Moses, put forth thy hand and take it by the tail. And he put oh forth boy, his hand a, and caught it. You don't it. want to do that. If he was afraid of it and fled from it, now he's told to go take it by the tail. I mean, that takes courage. And it but, became a rod. Mm -hmm. And See, it became a, a rod in his hand. <laughs> that they may believe that Yahweh, thy Elohim of thy fathers of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob hath appeared unto thee. Keep and reading. Yahweh said furthermore unto him, put now thy hand into thy bosom. And he put now he's going to give him another bosom. witness. He's telling him to take his hand and put him in his, in his bosom. Read. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was as leprous as snow. And he said, put thy hand into thy bosom again. And he put his hand into his bosom and again and plucked it out of his bosom. And behold, it turned again as its other flesh. 
Keep reading. And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe thee, nor hearken unto the voice of the first sign, that they will believe the voice of the latter sign. In other words, he's not just told to go down there and have Israel accept what he's saying just on blind faith. He's given some witnesses, some actual things to prove that what he's saying is, is of Yahweh. And he did go down to Egypt and do those things. Now, you also have in the prophets with uh, Gideon, he questioned the creator and judges uh, the sixth chapter, uh, start reading at verse 36. Because he wanted to know whether or not Yahweh was truly going to be for him when he went up against uh, um, the others in the land. Go ahead and read in Judges 6 and 36 through 40. Judges 6 and 36. Mm -hmm. And Gideon said unto Yahweh Elohim, If thou wilt save Israel by my hand, as thou hast said, behold, I will put a fleece of wool in the floor. And if the dew be on the fleece only, and it be dry upon all the earth beside it, then shall I know that thou wilt save Israel by my hand, as thou hast said. And it was so, for he rose up early on the morrow, and thrust the fleece together, and wrung the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. And Gideon said unto Yahweh, Elohim, let not thine anger be hot against me, and I will speak but this once. Let me prove, I pray thee, but this once with the fleece. Let it now be dry only upon the fleece and upon all the ground there, or no, and upon all the ground let there be dew. And Yahweh Elohim did so that night, for it was dry upon the fleece only, and there was dew on all the ground. So Gideon asked for proof, and he got proof from Yahweh. Yahweh wasn't angry with him or anything like that, but he, you know, it's the idea of prove all things and hold fast that which is good. It gave Gideon confidence and assurance that he knew that what he was doing was, was the right thing. So proof has always been a part of um, <clears throat> um, dealing with Yahweh, and this teaching is dedicated to showing proof. Now, in Christianity, for the most part, they take everything on blind faith. As a matter of fact, um, <clears throat> one of the articles I got when I um, was Googling, uh, can you prove God exists? And um, there's several articles out there. There's some Catholic point of views, uh, some various Christian point of views. And for the most part, they all kind of say the same thing, that you're going to get to know God when you die. <clears throat> so after you die, that's when you're going to get to know the details of him. But on the Christian uh, Christianity.org uh, site, they were talking about uh, proving the existence of God. And uh, one of the things they said on there is, uh, you know, you can know uh, various things, but to actually know why things are, it's only you cannot know why. That's only something that can be known to God is why. And the thing is, everything we do in this teaching is to try to show you why. It, you know, uh, why do we use the name Yahweh? It's because it was given to Moses on, my, you know, back at the burning bush. And Yahweh said, this is my name forever. That's why we use it, because he said it's the same forever. And you can go to the prophets and 
his name should continue as long as the sun. So we're telling you why we use the name Yahweh. And not only that, it is the truth. You know, so why would we want to call God uh, something other than his true name? You know, Christianity is is teaching, you know, the titles of Lord, God, and Jesus, and none of them are true. But, um, you know, so it's, you know, they, to know the reason why, they say only God can know why. And, and everything we do is to try to get you to see the why. Now, now when we go to uh, Acts, let's go to Acts 744, because Sri touched on the tabernacle a little bit. We're going to look at that. A little closer. Um, Acts 7 and 44, and then I want the tabernacle. This, this is Acts 7 and 44. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness, as he had appointed, speaking unto Moses, that he should make it according to the fashion he had that he had seen, mm -hmm. which also our fathers that came after brought in with the Messiah into the possession of the Gentiles, whom Yahweh Elohim drove out before the face of our of our fathers unto and, the and days of David. And that's good enough there. Their fathers, he's talking about the children of Israel's fathers back at the time of Moses, they had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness. That tabernacle was referred to as the tabernacle of witness. In a Zondervan Bible on the margin for Tabernacle Witness, it would say a tabernacle that reveals the truth about Yahweh. And that's what the tabernacle is. That tabernacle was shown to Moses uh, back when, uh, when uh, Yahweh led the children of Israel through the divided waters of the Red Sea. And they encamped on Mount Sinai. And Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu and 70 elders. He went up on the top of the mountain. And this was the second time he went up there, <clears throat> and he was up there for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, while he was up there for 40 days and 40 nights, he received the Genesis, the information of the first seven days of Genesis. And then the next 33 days, he was up there. He was learning about this tabernacle pattern. Now, how do I know that? Let's go to Exodus 25 and uh, 8 and 9 and then drop down to 40. Exodus 25 and 8. Oops, sorry. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. According to all that I show thee, after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall ye make it. And verse 40. <clears throat> And look that thou make them after their pattern, which was showed thee in the mount. See, now that's where Moses got the information about how to make the pattern or this tabernacle was in the mount. And it was referred to in your Bible as a pattern. Pattern what? And it just so happens this tabernacle pattern is actually a pattern of on top of the elementary chart. You see Elohim, the archetype or original pattern of everything in the universe. And this tabernacle pattern is a representation of the pattern of Yahweh Elohim himself. And this pattern, and when we go to the migration of the children of Israel, you'll see the migration of the children of Israel is threefold. You'll see on the black portion down on the bottom, that's Egypt. That could also be correlated to the world. 
that would be like the outer court or court roundabout. Then it went through the divided waters of the Red Sea, which would be a type of the first veil, which would be the veil between the holy place and the court roundabout, that, that veil. And then we go into the holy place where they dwelt for 40 years. And then if you continued up, you'd come to the River Jordan, which would be the type of the second veil, which would be the division between the holy place and the most holy place. And then you go into Canaan's land would be the type of the most holy place. And when you look at the migratory pattern, before they left the land of Egypt, they offered up a lamb. And just like uh, they had to offer up a lamb there, um, you have that principle of death or you have blood because they had to take the blood. And then they had to consume that lamb and they had to put the blood, like Sharice said, on the inside of the door. And then after they did that uh, blood or water, the next thing they come to it is divided waters of the Red Sea. So there's water. So you have blood, water, or death, burial. They were, and you know, Shri got into how they were baptized on the Moses and the cloud and the sea, and the baptism is a burial. So you have blood, water, or death, burial, burial. And then they resurrect it into the wilderness of Sinai. <clears throat> and in the wilderness of Sinai, we read in our scripture reading that that pillar of cloud was a, a light for them for the entire year, the entire 40 years that they were in the wilderness of Sinai. So, and then they ate bread. And then in the holy place of the tabernacle, they had a, 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 um, a table of shoe bread where they ate bread. So you have that lamp in the, holy place, which could never, uh, it had to be continual light in the holy place. Uh, in other words, what would happen at three o'clock in the afternoon, uh, the high priest would have to light those candles because it was starting to get dark because the sun is uh, starting to uh, um, go down at three o'clock in the afternoon because so, you couldn't have any darkness in the holy place. So they had to light the candles at three o'clock in the afternoon and that candle had to stay lit until nine o'clock in the morning then they snuffed out the candles because the tabernacle was set up from east to west and the sun rises in the east so it would come through the gate and it would light up the holy place from the natural daylight so they could snuff out the candles at nine o'clock in the morning so you had continual light in the holy place you have the same principle with the migratory pattern in the wilderness of sinai and they had shoe bread and they had daily bread in that uh, holy place. They had to partake of those 12 loaves of bread because you had the 12 tribes of Israel and they ate that manna from heaven and they were making that into bread. So you can see how there's parallels between the tabernacle and the migratory trek that Israel is going through in their journey. Now, what I want to work with a little bit more is when you look at the tabernacle, the tabernacle is made up of, of, of structure, and it's made up of uh, function, and it has administration. So if you look at the tabernacle, let's go to the bigger version of the tabernacle. So we'll show you some examples of some structure. Now, I know there's a lot of things we could talk about, but I'm trying to um, give, you know, uh, something to all levels of understanding. So if you look at the tabernacle um, chart, you're going to see that you don't have it up yet. Body tabernacle, Dennis. Body body tabernacle chart. When you look at the tabernacle chart, 
you're going to see that on the bottom left there, they had the altar, and that's where they had to offer up the lamb, just like the children of Israel. And that's their structure there. You know, that the four square thing with the blood on there, it's the same thing as like a door. A door is basically framed up as a square type structure, and there was blood. So the structure would be like bars, pillars, uh, square shapes, you know, round shapes, you know, Function would be like something had to die. The altar was the function of it was for burning sacrifices. So it was for something to die. And it's the same thing, you know, the principle of this tabernacle has structure and function. So if you look at some of the ideas of the structure, the structure, for example, you have uh, when they left the land of Egypt and keep this up, they had to give, they had to kill a lamb, right? And there was a death. And then the next thing in the in the altar, so you have the gate, right? And then you have the altar, and then you come to the laver. And that's the Red Sea, because the pattern says the next thing they have to come to in the journey is water. So they come to the Red Sea. And then it was the Spirit of Yahweh that led them through the Red Sea, and that's why we have that priest there with the uh, cup or horn of holy anointing, all that represents spirit had to be poured over the head of the priest. And then the next thing you come to is the door or that, first veil the first veil had the door in it now if you look at the veil the first door maybe some people don't know this but when you look at the structure of the tabernacle it just so happens on that first veil the division between the core roundabout and the holy place there was five pillars i do see the sign now this five pillars you might think well what's so significant about that well, didn't I just say that veil is a type of the Red Sea from going from the court roundabout into the holy place? Do you know they went through the Red Sea, it says in your Bible, it, it says harnessed. So if you go through the Red Sea harnessed, if you look up the word harnessed, it means in ranks of five, like a military thing. So they went in ranks of five. So they went through that veil or through that door or through that area in ranks of five and it just so happens the structure of the tabernacle has five pillars now someone might think well a pillar and a person well you know people can be pillars in their community you know and the, the temple had the two pillars of Jacob and Boaz representing people so now when you go into the holy place now in the holy place we have that lampstand, which had to show light in the holy place at all times. And we just got into showing you how in the wilderness of Sinai, they had light the entire time in the wilderness. It was never dark. So as soon as the sun went down, that cloud that was, uh, uh, you know, led them became a pillar of fire to give them light. And they, we know that the table of shoe bread, so they had bread there the entire time as well in the wilderness. And Moses was like the intercessor between Yahweh and the people. So now when they went into the most holy place, we know that when they sent the spies into Canaan's land and they came back from Canaan's land with the spies report because Israel did not believe the report of the spies, they had to spend a day for a year, a year for a day, excuse me, for every day the spies were up there in Canaan's land. So the punishment for Israel was they had to spend 40 years in the wilderness of Sinai. Why 40 years? Because your pattern, the fourth step is that veil or the door, or there's a four or 40. And we also know there's a principle of 40 pieces within the holy place if you want to work with 
the way the vessels were put in there and the approximation of feet between the vessels in the daily administration. But according to the pattern, it's death, burial, resurrection, or blood, water, spirit. There's a 440, something like that, right? So then when you go from the Canaan's uh, uh, land, uh, from, excuse me, the uh, wilderness of Sinai and the Canaan's land, of that first generation, everyone was killed off under or above a certain age, excuse me. So only four people remained of that first generation. And that four, four people was Joshua, who was one of the spies that went up there and gave back a true report, and Caleb. And Joshua, we know, uh, um, is a type of the high priest of the Most High. And Caleb is from the tribe of Judah, which would be like the kingship tribe. Now, the other two that made it across were both Levites, uh, was um, Eleazar and Phineas, which was a uh, grandson and uh, son of Aaron. So basically, we have an example of two, two priests and uh, one person from the tribe of Judah. But the point, and then we have uh, Joshua, who's a tell you, really is Joshua. He's the king of kings and priest of priests. He leads those people across. So basically, you have Joshua, Caleb, that's two. And then you have Phineas and Eleazar, that's four. So you have four pillars crossing now, leading the children of Israel across the, the Jordan River. Now, if you look at the tabernacle structure, it just so happens between the uh, holy place and the most holy place, there's four pillars between on that, in that veil. So just like you had five pillars on the veil between the core roundabout and holy place, the most holy place, you have four. So it's very interesting now, even when you look at structure, that a lot of these things and the pattern can overturn and overturn. The details are staggering. And I just don't have enough time to get into everything, but I hope and pray that enough was said to get you to see that we do have proof. We do have evidence to show you that Yahweh is real. He does exist. Our founder did truly have a divine vision revelation. And that's why I keep coming to class, because this teaching fascinates me and has given me peace in my life. And I have something for the first time in my life that I know I can count on and rest assured that Yahweh is real. He does exist. And he is a performer of his promises. And I trust him with everything, uh, with all praises to Yahshua. And I'll give it back to the moderator. Thank you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Dr. Fikadarin. For our third speaker, I would like to call on the president of the Oceanside branch, Dr. Carl Emler. Dr. Emler? Good evening. Um, Good evening. <clears throat> I want to talk a little bit about um, something that's been said as far as proof is concerned and evidence. Uh, Andy had talked about talking with a Christian and uh, when Andy had asked or or said that he had a desire to see a witness or proof um, this Christian said well this Christian uh, accused him of potentially being a doubting Thomas and I want to talk about this a little bit um, here you have 
a man I'm talking about, and now when I talk about a man, I'm really talking about all of Christianity is rolled up in this one uh, man that Andy talked to. Now, you wonder why I can say something like that. And, um, and the reason I can say that is because this man who uh, made this statement to Andy that by virtue of you wanting an explanation, uh, and basically that's what Andy wanted to elicit from this guy was a, a, an explanation of what he was saying rather than accepting a declaration of what he was saying. Those are two very different things. Uh, and in fact, this man used this um, intimidation tactic, uh, accusing Andy that he might be uh, something that in this man's mind, no one would want to be. And that is a doubter. And so rather than enter into uh, an explanation or a discussion, his tactic was to use intimidation to end the conversation by throwing at Andy, well, if you want to do this, then maybe you're a doubting Thomas. And, and I want you to see why I say now that when I speak of this man, I speak of all of Christianity. Because when you look at Christianity, uh, they choose not to enter in with enter in with you as far as answering for what they teach. This is what Andy was essentially asking this Christian to answer for what you're teaching. Uh, and in all of Christianity, I know this is a strong statement, but pay attention. In all of Christianity, uh, they do not hold themselves responsible to explain what doctrine they impose upon the people. Now, I said that all very specifically. Uh, this world is run by autocratic uh, doctrine that you are required to believe without explanation in order for you to go to heaven, period. There are doctrinal issues that if you don't believe it, you're going to go to hell. Diane, what are some of those? Uh, the five tenets of Mary. There are five tenets of Mary that, so in Roman Catholicism, there is a uh, cult of Mary worship. Uh, the current Pope is a Marian, I believe. Yeah. 
Yeah. The current Pope. Diana's more versed in this than I am. She plays up at night and listens to all of these Roman Catholics trying to defend uh, their doctrine and why you should believe it uh, and uh, not out of the scriptures or as an explanation, but just because they've created this doctrine. They've created the fact that Mary uh, was uh, born uh, under an immaculate conception, that she uh, was born without sin. Uh, and this is a doctrine uh, that you have to believe uh, in order to um, go to heaven. Mm -hmm. Now, most people don't know these doctrines, and so they're not challenged by it. But if you do get challenged by it, you have no um, recourse but to submit to it. You can't ask for proof. Uh, you can't uh, uh, ask for an explanation. These doctrines, this is how doctrine comes to uh, Christianity. Men get together, they read the Bible, and then they try to decide what the Bible's saying amongst themselves. You are not included in this. They try to decide what the Bible's saying. And then when they come up with an agreed upon uh, 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 story, if you would, an agreed upon, uh, you know, like when people are getting in trouble with the police and they call each other and say, let's get our story straight. So when we go to the police, we have we're all saying the same thing. These people are getting their story straight with respect to um, what. God is like. And their story turns out to be that God is a trinity. Their story turns out to be that Mary uh, is uh, uh, an intercessor between man and Jesus because uh, what son would uh, uh, not uh, do what his mother asked him to do because he loves his mother so much. So if you pray to Mary, Mary will take your prayers to Jesus. And this is doctrine. Uh, and the Trinity is another doctrine. The Trinity is three uh, individuals. They're all God, but they're all separate. Now, listen, they will tell you this, that they cannot explain it. They call it a supernatural mystery. And this idea of a trinity is required to be believed by all of Christianity, not just Roman Catholicism. This is a doctrine of all of Christianity, and it is a doctrine founded on people getting together, listening or reading in the Bible where Jesus is talking to his father and where Jesus is getting baptized and then a dove comes and they look at all of these separate inst instances of uh, a father and a son and the Holy Spirit. And they look at paintings of, of God the Father up in heaven with Jesus at his right hand and a bird flying around the top of them. And these are paintings that people uh, venerate uh, as uh, proof and doctrine of... of um, Thank you, Diane. Proof and doctrine 
uh, of the idea of a trinity. It has nothing to do with scriptural uh, uh, proof. It just has to do with what men have decided is true. They call it doctrine and they require you to believe it or you're going to go to hell. There are mortal sins involved in you not believing these things. These are, Diane just slipped me a, a, the four Marian dogmas. Uh, the first one is the assumption of Mary. At the end of her earthly life, Mary was taken to heaven, body and soul. And that means her flesh, her physical body was taken up to heaven. Regardless that, uh, the Bible says, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of Yahweh. Regardless of that, uh, the immaculate conception, Mary, from the first moment of her conception in the womb of St. Anne, was kept free of every stain of original sin. I'm reading this out of their doctrine. This is these Marian uh, dogmas. There are four of them. Mary's divine motherhood. The Blessed Virgin Mary is the mother of Jesus Christ. Perpetual virginity. She remained a virgin before, during, and after her conception with Jesus, regardless of the fact that Jesus had several brothers. You understand? It's a mortal sin not to believe. And, and it's a mortal sin. Um, Dennis, you know what a mortal sin is versus a venial sin. These are mortal sins if you don't believe these things. And these are things that they have concocted, you understand, up from uh, having a blindness in their minds with respect to what Yahweh's purpose or God's purpose is. And this is what I want to address. I want to address the fact that Christianity has no idea of what uh, Yahweh's purpose is. And by the way, neither does Islam and neither does uh, Judaism. They do not know. And I'm going to tell you why they don't know. There's a simple reason why they don't understand Yahweh's purpose. And that reason is that they do not hold important, nor do they believe categorically or without question, you understand, uncategorically, however that goes, without question, that Moses had a divine vision about Yahweh's purpose. And let me just do this. I want to um, uh, explain to you how the founder has dealt with this idea of Moses and his vision. This is in um, uh, Joshua, the son of Nun, a transcript. And uh, this is a pretty... Uh, uh, interesting transcript, and he's talking about the power of Yahweh. Uh, and he said, now, uh, uh, let me see here. Uh, now, so I'm just going to pick it up in the middle of something, because what I want is the next couple of paragraphs. But he goes, Yahweh. Now, we got Yahweh. We got Yahshua. We got Elohim all churned up here together. And it's now he's talking about the burning bush with Moses at the burning bush. You got Yahweh, you got Yahshua, you got Elam all churned up here together. And it's listen, it's impossible for you to follow it with a carnal mind. Now, that means 
the carnal mind, and it's mentioned in your scriptures, is a natural mind, is a physical mind. It is not a spiritual mind. And yet when we're talking about the burning bush, Moses at the burning bush, we're talking about Moses having a spiritual experience. Moses is having a vision at the burning bush. And listen, this is the very first time Moses had any kind of a vision. Moses was born uh, down in Egypt uh, under a death decree, and he was uh, a baby. He didn't know there was a death decree. He was put in bulrushes uh, in order to save his life, and Pharaoh's daughter finds him. And Moses is not aware of this. Moses is a baby. <laughs> what did you? What were you aware of when you were a baby? She takes this kid and raises him in Pharaoh's household. And so Moses is ignorant, really, of the purpose of Yahweh with respect to his own birth. I want you to listen to me. Moses is ignorant of the purpose of Yahweh with respect to his own birth at the time that Moses is drawn from the bulrushes, taken in the Pharaoh's house, and raised there for 40 years. And so Moses learns that he's uh, uh, a Hebrew and there are various things. I'm not going to get into it because I don't want to burn time. I got you know 18 minutes left here. I don't want to burn this time. But I want you to know that Moses just finds out physically so that he's a Jew, a Hebrew. And so now he's walking amongst the Hebrew, which are his people. And he sees an Egyptian slaying uh, or beating a Hebrew. And Moses slays this man, buries him in the sand and flees Egypt for his life. Moses still is ignorant of uh, his place in Yahweh's purpose. And he goes into the wilderness of Sinai. He gets married. He has kids. He tends sheep. He's got a father-in-law he chats with, you understand, and all this kind of stuff for another 40 years. And at, at, at which time uh, he has a vision at this burning bush out of the blue. Uh, and it's Yahweh telling Moses uh, uh, to go down and uh, uh, bring the children of Israel up out of Egypt. And we know how that whole thing went. Moses complained, I can't speak, I stutter. And Yahweh said, don't worry about it. I'm sending uh, 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 Aaron, your brother, who speaks quite well. Uh, and he's going to take care of any issues you have with communicating with Pharaoh. And uh, there's uh, there's not time to get into these some of these things. But Moses does talk to Pharaoh. And Moses, in his discussion with Pharaoh, uh, 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 irritates Pharaoh because Moses stutters. And Dr. as Dr. Kinley says, that he just stutters. Uh, uh, and <laughs> Dr. Kinley goes, he says something seven times before he gets it out. Uh, and uh, again, we can deal with this seven uh, later if we want to, if there's time. But he talks about this stuttering, just uh, unnerves Pharaoh. So Moses first enter talks to him in this stutter, but then Aaron comes by and explains what it is that Moses is, said, is saying. He explains it to Pharaoh. That's how this whole thing worked with the Pharaoh and Moses and Aaron. And what is unknown is that everything that Moses or Aaron tells to Pharaoh, they were told to tell it to him uh, uh, by 
Joshua, the son of Nun, or Yahweh manifested in the flesh. Give me uh, uh, Exodus 9.16, I think it is. Uh, we get this a lot of times. I'm going to stay in this scripture, but I'm trying to make this point about the difference between the world treats this biblical book, the book, the Holy Bible. They go into it with a carnal mind or without having any direct contact with the creator. They have not had any formal introduction like Paul did on the road to Damascus. He had a formal introduction uh, to the creator. Moses is getting a formal introduction to the creator at the burning bush. Quickly get me 916, I think it is, of Exodus. And in very deed for this cause have I raised thee up for to show in thee my power and that my name may be declared throughout all the earth. Now, this is a statement that Moses and Aaron are making to Pharaoh. And if you read up, you'll read there's a lot of things they're saying. But they were instructed to tell Pharaoh to his face, this is why I have raised you up. This is what's happening. You know, we read this in 916 and we think, oh, Yahweh's saying this to Pharaoh directly. Yahweh is not saying this directly to Pharaoh. Yahweh is saying this through Moses. And you can, uh, Gail, you could pick it up probably five verses ahead mm -hmm. where yep. you see it. Mm -hmm. Read it. Yep. In 13. And Yahweh said unto Moses, rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say unto him. Now, and then there's a whole lot of stuff after that. I yeah. want you to know that Yahweh says to Moses, stand up in the morning and this is what you're going to say to Pharaoh. There's a whole lot of things, including that for this cause, I have raised you up. Not that Moses raised him up. Moses is talking to him about the creator, Yahweh. And he says, Yahweh tell, wanted me to tell you, for this cause, he raised you up, that his name may be shown in power. So Moses is having direct communication with the creator, Joshua, the son of Nun, Yahweh Elohim, in uh, that man, Yahshua, the son of Nun, uh, and he's feeding Moses all and, and Aaron all of this information to give to Pharaoh. Every time they talk to Pharaoh, it's because they had direct communication with the creator of the universe. These were not Moses's thoughts. These were not Aaron's thoughts. If they were Moses's thoughts, if they were Aaron's thoughts, they would be carnally minded thoughts. And again, bringing you back now to what you have been given in terms of doctrine to believe as far as God is concerned is not Yahweh's thoughts. There isn't a single man out there who has claimed to have had a divine vision and revelation straight from the creator. And this is what he said. And I can prove it because God said it. Instead, they come up with every doctrine, every single doctrine that you believe in Christianity, in Judaism, and Islam is a product of man's uh, 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 concepts based on what they read in these books that they consider to be holy. And then by intimidation, you're going to go to hell. They tell you, you must believe it. And for you, that's the easy way out because you don't have to do any kind of thought process. You don't have to give it any kind of consideration. You can sit back in your rocking chair and just, I believe it. And then when the when the court comes, when you're brought before the judge, you say, well, I was just doing what I was told to do because that they were my uh, superiors. And that doesn't hold water in court. That will not 
hold water that you just did it because you believe they were your superiors. Uh, this is not the way Yahweh's purpose works. Yahweh's purpose works by giving uh, a man uh, a knowledge and an understanding through a vision and a revelation of his specific purpose. And that man comes and presents Yahweh's purpose with proof as Andy was trying to express the reason why we use the tabernacle, the reason why we pull all of these uh, uh, what you would call correlations that Cherie uh, is so uh, well adapted at. She can just uh, run this thing from top to bottom. You understand the purpose of Yahweh with these examples and stuff. But the reason that it's done is to convince you that someone has had a direct communication with the creator of the universe. This is not Cherie's reading the book and figuring this thing out. It's not Andy reading the book and figuring this thing out. And it's not me figuring this thing out. I'm telling you that Moses had a divine vision up at the top of that mountain. And it was explained to him the purpose of Yahweh from beginning to end. Now I'm going back to Joshua, the son of Nun, uh, 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 for a moment here, just to because I made that statement and I don't, I have got 10 minutes and I've got myself hanging all over the place here. So let's do this now. Now, Yahweh, this, I'm in the transcript now, Yahweh. Now we got Yahweh, we got Yahshua, we got Elohim all churned up here together. And it's impossible, impossible for you to follow it with a carnal mind and see through it. And while I'm on that score, I want to get this over to you. The same Yahweh, the same Elohim, that's walking around in physical bodies. I told you that he sent me in the world in this last day, just before this age here closes, to expound, expound and explain and to make known to you so that you can have some hope, so that you will not be discouraged and dismayed. Because it, Yahweh, his claim is, he had a divine vision and revelation straight from the creator. Moses can make the same claim. Uh, 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 Paul, the apostle, apostle, can make the same claim. Uh, Peter can make the same claim. You understand, each and every one of these boys and women, you understand, Ruth, that the rest of them had direct communication with the creator of the universe to say what was on his mind, not their mind. And so Dr. Kinley continues here. He goes, now listen again at what I'm going to say. Pay strict attention to it. If you would read the 24th chapter of Matthew 24th and the 21st chapter of Luke and the 13th chapter of Mark. Now listen, the world is in worse shape now than it has ever been in the history of the ages. There has never been a time like this and never will be. Do you understand? There is more deception and Yahweh is giving the devil power to go out here and to deceive the people. And that's what's happening. If the people were not deceived, if they were all together in understanding the creator's purpose, there would not be most wars. Are, uh, the war in Ukraine, the, the, the archbishop in Russia uh, is supporting Putin, and then the bishop in Ukraine is supporting. Uh, is supporting uh, uh, Ukraine. And these religions are calling each other the devil. There's no unity in any of these religions. And he says, uh, uh, he's given him power to deceive the people. 
and he's giving his ministers, true ministers. Now, now this is Yahweh. He's giving his ministers, true ministers, more power than he gives the devil. And the fight's got to go on. Uh, that's all there is to it. And there's nothing happening that isn't in harmony. Now, listen, there's nothing happening that isn't in harmony with his purpose. And people out there teach you that, oh, this one's against God's purpose or this one's against God, etc. But this is Yahweh's purpose. No problem at all for him to get the war stopped in Vietnam. This was during the Vietnam War. No problem at all for him to get the war stopped over in Israel. No problem at all. That's going according to the purpose, his program. Uh, do you understand it? So what he's saying is that if, yeah, if it was Yahweh's purpose to stop the war in Vietnam, boom, it would be stopped. If it was purpose to stop the war over in Israel, boom, it would be stopped. But it's not his purpose because Yahweh has set up this mystery of iniquity in order to contrast the mystery of righteousness. Uh, uh, and, and now let me just finish this off here. Then this is in the transcript. Now, Yahshua, I'm going to try hard now, and you're going to sit quiet, and you're going to listen so that I can try to give you a knowledge and lead you straight on through to the things that you should know to keep you from being discouraged and dismayed. Now, Joshua, or Elohim, or the angel, appeared to Moses at this burning bush, and we pictured that on the chart. And uh, uh, now you're going to, now if you're going to ever understand your Bible, that's where you're going to have to start with Moses. Now somebody said, well, no, I want to start in Genesis 1. No, someone says they don't, they don't understand what I'm talking about. Well, I disagree with him. How can you get help? How can you help but disagree with me? when you don't know what it's all about. Of course, you're going to disagree if you don't know what Yahweh's purpose is about. And this is what he says. Now, you notice, I didn't start with Abraham. I didn't start with Isaac. I didn't start with Jacob. I didn't start with Adam. Neither did I start with Enoch. We didn't start with Noah. Well, there might be a question. Why not? Why don't? Why didn't you start back there? Get the point? Now, here's the reason I didn't start there, because Moses was the first and only man that Yahweh appeared to and outlined or showed or revealed or made known what his entire purpose was. And he showed it to him in visions and revealed it to him in visions so that there wouldn't be no question about it. Now, listen, if Yahweh showed it to Moses, how could anybody else know anything about it other than him, Moses? He didn't reveal it to anybody else. And what Dr. Kinley is talking about here is this uh, point in time in the ages and dispensations where uh, Moses was chosen first at the burning bush and given that vision uh, uh, at the burning bush about the names and is instructed He's given the information of who Joshua, the son of Nun, is. And, uh, and Joshua, the son of Nun, directs him. That's why that little tent is down there in the uh, 
court roundabout of this chart. You understand with Moses and Aaron and Joshua in that tent, because Moses never said a word that he didn't get from Joshua, the son of Nun. And we find out later at the tent of the congregation on the backside of the mountain that Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, uh, departed not out of that tent after Yahweh spoke to Moses as a man speaks to a friend. And so it connects Joshua uh, with Yahweh Elohim. Walking in that body. I got five minutes. I see it. Let me finish this off. Uh, give me back to that chart. Uh, uh, Moses, Moses. Uh, so here's the deal. Uh, in this time frame between uh, 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 Genesis, if you would, all the way to the time of the Messiah coming to fulfill. Moses is the only man who Yahweh revealed his entire purpose to from start to finish. And when I say the term revealed, I understand this aspect that Moses got an understanding that was clear and explainable at the time. But it took uh, Pentecost to come to give him the same understanding, you understand, that Paul had and that John the Baptist had on the Isle of Patmos. You have John the Baptist up at the left-hand corner right-hand corner, and Moses uh, up at the left-hand corner. And John the Baptist is witnessing to what Moses saw. Moses, in, in principle, had the explanation of the purpose from start to finish. John the Baptist had the revelation of the spiritual in principles of that. Moses described the physical tabernacle and how it should be built. Moses talked about the physical name and how it should be presented. Moses uh, uh, gave all of this information that we read Genesis. He explained all of the seven days of creation that we read about in Genesis. He explained about Abraham. No one knew that much about Abraham. There was words, etc., down as far as you you have with your family members and stuff. But there weren't great books written about uh, Abraham. There weren't great books written about Isaac. There weren't great books written about Jacob. It was Moses who saw the connection uh, from start to finish, right from Adam uh, all the way down through Noah. No one knew the, the, the details of Noah and his workings with that ark and the bird, uh, the, 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 the dove coming and going and the uh, raven coming and going. That was revealed to Moses. All this information came through Moses from this divine vision and revelation. And if these people do not recognize the source of where this information, as you call it, comes from, then they are blind and carnally minded. They can read the words, but not understand the implication of how it fits the purpose of Yahweh. And the world does not know the purpose of God. They've got snippets of things they think some things seem to be right. Some things seem to be wrong. But nothing explains why, W-H-Y, why God or the creator does the stuff he does. And they shy from that because it was revealed to Isaiah that Yahweh forms the light and creates darkness, that Yahweh makes peace and creates evil. Yahweh does all these things. That's over in Isaiah, I think, the 43rd or 44th, 45th chapter. Uh, but that Isaiah got from a vision. Isaiah didn't figure that out amongst Jeremiah and the rest of them. None of these guys figured anything out. They got it from visions 
and uh, uh, directly from the creator. And you, you, all of you listening to this, whoever's out there in uh, Zoom land or uh, YouTube land or whatever it is, if you don't uh, get uh, an explanation of the vision of Yahweh directly from Yahweh himself, you cannot understand it. Yahweh, God, Yahshua, however you want to call it, is the only one who can explain this purpose from beginning to end. And that's why Moses uh, was born uh, with the Holy Spirit, because Yahweh had placed that power within him to see that vision. And then at Pentecost, he increased that power through the revelation. So I hope that made some sense to you people. My time is up and I'm happy about that. Hallelujah. Thank you, Dr. Carl Emlin. Um, that will conclude today's class. We would like to thank all of our speakers this evening. And we'd also like to thank all of you who come out to join us, whether on Zoom or on YouTube, to study. We would like to invite you to come back and have class with us on Saturdays from 4 p.m. Pacific time to 6 p.m. Pacific time. I would like to remind all of our Zoom participants to remain muted until the broadcast has ended. Let us all be dismissed with the doxology taken from the last two verses of the book of Jude. Now unto him, that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise Elohim, our savior, who Yahshua, the Messiah, our sovereign, belong glory and majesty, dominion and power, both before all time, now and ever. Let us all say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, yeah.